All right. It's the Gilded Age in New York. Folks are milling around some Park Avenue mansion with all their high society friends, listening to an orchestra while enjoying a fancy dinner. Suddenly, a waiter comes around serving a bowl of tiny black pearls. It's caviar. Those little salty fish eggs. And I gotta be honest, I never really understood why people eat it. But back then, and even now, it's considered the height of fashion to have some. Russian sturgeon caviar is certainly the most famous with its buttery smooth taste. But this caviar, well, it ain't from Russia, it's from the Midwest. Specifically, Lake Winnebago. Wisconsin's largest lake has been teeming with sturgeon for hundreds of years. So sturgeon is, I think the best way to describe it, it's almost like a dinosaur. Like it's a prehistoric fish. These things can grow to be bigger than six feet long. They're massive. Jake Princeton is a reporter that's worked for a number of publications, including the Appleton Post Crescent. They got like spikes on their back. They look like a dinosaur. People acquired a taste for its flesh. They liked its smoke and they loved its eggs. So much so, the locals called them black gold. They don't mature until they're older than other fish. Typical lifespan for males is 55 years. The females get even older, they can reach 80 to 150 years old, which means the replacement rate isn't as high as other species. So it's very hard to have a really thriving population of sturgeon in any, lake sturgeon anyways, in any fresh water. By the 1870s, Overfishing alongside pollution and dams blocking spawning spots meant that the population had dropped by thousands. So local wildlife groups decided to step in. They tried to set up hatcheries to boost numbers. Wisconsin's government eventually banned sturgeon fishing in 1915. But if there's something Wisconsinites really love, it's fishing. Various sportsmen's groups started lobbying the local government asking to be allowed to continue the tradition of spearfishing. By 1931, the government acquiesced and made new rules that allowed for sturgeon to be caught during a brief window, but stopped people from profiting from the catches. And it worked. For the last 90 years, numbers of sturgeon in Lake Winnebago have been growing. The entire program has been managed by one entity, the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, otherwise known as the DNR. And the whole operation is under the leadership of its head biologist. It's a role that's been carefully filled with people dedicated to preserving the health and well-being of sturgeon. And in 2012, Ryan Koenig, a longtime DNR employee, was put in charge of the whole operation. He's the lead biologist in charge of the Lake Winnebago system. There's kind of like this generational passing of the torch of the sturgeon management, what has been a really successful program, actually. Ryan was responsible for about 60 DNR staff. And the team's efforts meant that even though 23 of the 27 species of sturgeon are critically endangered, the numbers in Lake Winnebago are healthy. The Winnebago system is actually unique in that it's the only freshwater, I want to say it's the only system in the world that has a population like this. But Ryan was the one who was leading it at that time. All these guys were very close-knit, very tight. It was almost like a father-son relationship. Sportsmen in the area often referred to Ryan as the Wait for it. Sturgeon General. Yeah, could have seen that coming. Each spring, 
He'd go out to the lake in the early hours to check on the spawning fish. He'd recruit volunteers to help protect the fish against poachers. He led extensive tagging efforts to track population numbers. In 2015, he even won the Fisheries Biologist of the Year Award. Ryan's department also collected huge quantities of the sturgeon eggs for research purposes. They'd use them to track the health of the sturgeon population. Aside from research, there were a number of laws in place to protect the fish's eggs. Fishermen can turn them into caviar, either by themselves or by going to a processor. But they were banned from selling it or bartering for it. You don't want it to turn into a commercial industry. That's the whole reason that there's that in place. Researchers saw Ryan as one of the most important people involved in the field of sturgeon conservation. In his decade in the role, he contributed to numerous scientific papers on the fish. But that all changed when the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, working alongside the DNR, received some information that not everything was as it seemed with the Sturgeon General. Uh-oh. This whole thing kind of starts with game wardens asking questions about why the scientists are keeping eggs from people who are registering their fish. It looked like Ryan and others were bending the DNR rules to the point of breaking. The first thoughts are, holy cow, why did they think they were going to get away with this? I'm Alzo Slade, and this is Cheat, the podcast where we ask, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, Wisconsin's illicit caviar trading ring. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Don Herman has lived around Lake Winnebago his whole life. He says he appreciates the close-knit community, the cold weather, and the beautiful landscape. It's like a great plain, a desert with snow on it. You can look across the lake 10 miles on a clear day. It's a winter wonderland looking over the lake. As the owner of Sunk Dive and Ice Service, he usually spends his winters pulling out vehicles that have fallen through the ice. And he loves it. I'm still here. And I'm 65 years old, and that's why I don't have a place in Florida, because I still like the cold weather. Probably call me crazy, but I did stop scuba diving through the ice last year, though. I, I dove through the ice for 41 years to hook up cars. Don is the vice president of Oshkosh's Otter Street Fishing Club. And I'm sure they got some fly jackets. Don has been volunteering with the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources, the DNR, for over 20 years. He's seen firsthand how biologist Ryan Koenig's conservation efforts have helped the local sturgeon population. Every year, Don volunteers to help tag fish to track their numbers. They actually called me the sturgeon whisperer. I get in the water and I catch them and I rub their bellies and calm them down to put them in a net so they can tag them and measure them and everything and then put them back in the water. Sportsmen like Don look forward to a period of two weeks every winter when the DNR lets fishermen hunt sturgeon with a spear. The whole thing can last for up to 16 days or until the sportsmen spear enough fish to hit a cap the DNR sets every year. During that 
couple weeks, there's 15,000, 12 to 15,000 people out on a lake. Spearfishing has a long history in Wisconsin. The current methods, they've been passed down through generations of families and have been used for at least 100 years. And now, although it's highly regulated, last year, there were 12,000 spearers that headed to Lake Winnebago to try their luck. They harvested over 1,100 sturgeon. It's a sport that goes way back from well, the grandpa spear and then the dad spear and now the grandkids are spear. And it's just like, like deer hunting, you know. People come from all over the world to do it. In the days before the season begins, local volunteers like Don plow the snow from the ice. Then thousands of fishermen arrive. Their first job is to get through the thick ice. So they grab a chainsaw, cut a two-foot wide hole, and set up some sort of portable shelter. These ice shanties can be anything from a simple corrugated metal shack to something with all the luxuries of a small RV. Some fishermen bring their own, while others rent them. Once everything is set up, the fishers grab their huge three-pronged spear, which, as you can imagine, usually looks like something Poseidon would use. And then they drop their lure into the water. The lure is something shiny, or little wooden models of sturgeon, which is kind of weird because sturgeon don't eat fish, let alone themselves. So I can imagine the sturgeon is looking at this thing like this is a funny-looking version of me. They put anything for decoys. They can use pop cans or whatever. They use all kinds of stuff. People make their own decoys, and sturgeons are very curious. The lake gets really murky in the winter, and sturgeon are bottom feeders, so it's kind of tricky to see anything. I mean, there are guys who've been out on the lake for like 25 years, and they haven't caught anything. Sturgeon spearing is like looking up your chimney and trying to shoot a duck. That's what it's like. I've never tried to shoot a duck through my chimney, but I imagine it takes a lot of patience. And that's what these guys needed, because... They wait, and they wait, and they wait, watching the water for hours. And if they get lucky and spot a sturgeon, they slam the spear into the water, and bam. It's very exciting when you spear one. You hit one, and it takes off. You don't even know how big it is until you get it out of the hole. So all fishermen are required to have the fish weighed, their sex logged, and tagging details noted. So they'd head to the DNR registration table, which was at the side of the lake. Once registered, the fishermen can keep their catch. Tradition states that any lucky spearer is meant to kiss their sturgeon on the lips. Some even drink beer through the fish's gills. Okay, wait a minute. Now, I love fishing, but kissing fish lips, that's where you lost me. Remember Ryan, the head biologist, he was typically there throughout the season, checking the numbers, making sure the harvest caps weren't breached, compiling photos of the biggest catches, marking down data like fish weight and length. If the fish is a female, biologists might remove any full egg sacs for research. People would get a sturgeon and they didn't want the eggs. So they would give the eggs away to someone who would process it. Nothing any different than what they've been doing for the last 30, 40 years. Once the DNR is finished with their research, any eggs that are left over 
must either be destroyed or returned to the fishermen. But what was happening was these scientists were setting out coolers at their registration stations and they would ask fishermen when they came, hey, do you want to keep your eggs for caviar? If they said no, they'd say, well, can we take them? And if the fishermen said yeah, then they would take these eggs from the fish, put them in a cooler. While most beers do give the eggs to the DNR, they are allowed to keep them. The rules say that they can process the eggs themselves or pay a processor to turn them into caviar. But they aren't allowed to sell the eggs or resulting caviar to anyone. If you don't know how to process it, which again is kind of just like stuff that's been passed down from generation to generation, then you would take these eggs to a processor and that process has to do with like adding salt and mixing them up until those eggs turn like a translucent color. There are a lot of other restrictions as well, especially around bartering. You see, fishermen are allowed to give caviar to friends, but not if they're doing a service. That means a fisherman couldn't give a processor a few jars of caviar as payment for their work, but they could give it to them as a gift, just as long as they also paid for the processing. And when I first heard this, I thought it was confusing, but then I thought of living in New York, there were subway musicians on the platform. They legally couldn't sell their CDs. But if you decided to give them a little gift and they decide to give you a CD, well, it's just two people exchanging gifts. As just as complicated as that sounds, for a lot of the Spears, they felt like the whole thing was just too much of a hassle to be worth it. If you ask anybody out on the lake, hey, what's this caviar worth? They'd tell you it's not worth anything because it's wild-caught caviar. It'd be like asking somebody who had a deer in Wisconsin, like, how much is that wild venison worth? Whatever you're willing to pay for it, I guess. Me, personally, I don't like it. I think it tastes like crap. <laughs> so I don't even know how, why, how it's so expensive that it can taste so crappy. But I'm not rich, so maybe you got to be rich to require that taste. So I got to take a quick pause and acknowledge that when it comes to the taste of caviar, Don and I are on the same page. And maybe it's because I'm not rich either, but the stuff is pretty bad and I'm okay with it because I'm not willing to pay all that money for something that, as Don says, tastes like crap. Now, it's a few weeks after the 2018 spearing season and there's a party taking place at a bar near Lake Winnebago. The DNR is throwing a big gathering to thank volunteers for yet another successful spearing season. And there's a huge spread laid out on the table. Smoked sturgeon, some beers, and, of course, sturgeon caviar. The DNR will bring stuff that someone processed the sturgeon eggs, and they would be there. Nobody made any money on it. They'd bring it there for the volunteers, and people would have it. There was no money exchanged. Brian Koenig, the sturgeon general biologist for Wisconsin, strolls into the room and asks for everyone's attention. Just when you think he's going to give a celebratory toast for the season, this guy just wants to go over some rules for the next season, reiterating the limitations around bartering for sturgeon caviar. Can we say party pooper? Meanwhile, a few people are giving sideways looks at the caviar at the table and wondering where exactly it came from. And they weren't alone. 
Turns out, the DNR and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had already opened a case into the fisheries department. And their investigation was just getting started. That's after the break. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. It was early February in 2018 when agents Dunn and Esmond, working undercover, rolled up to Lake Winnebago. The agents met a spearer who goes by T.W., and T.W. tells them that the local DNR staff are up to no good. He claimed biologists were misusing the valuable sturgeon eggs, saying, I'm not even going to tell you what they do with the eggs they get. He goes on to say that the DNR was pressuring fishermen to give up any eggs from their catches, adding that certain researchers have relationships with processors that allows them to keep half of the finished product. It got the agents to thinking. You think like, ooh, there's the potential here for some major malpractice. And it's like, is this as bad as it looks? This has the potential to fetch hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you go, did somebody make hundreds of thousands of dollars from this? So Dunn and Esmond went about finding out. The next day, they sent some undercover agents to chat about getting some eggs processed. The agents spoke with a processor named Krizaneski. She gave them two options. They can either pay money for the processing, or they can give her a portion of the finished product, like most spears out there. The agents paid cash and watched Krizaneski produce the caviar. That's the whole thing with the bartering agreement. And that's what all these people got wrapped up into, is that they were processing these eggs in exchange for a fraction of the eggs. The agents realized that there was a pattern emerging. People were bartering for eggs around the lake. It was something that Ryan Koenig was supposed to be keeping an eye on. All these people should have been getting fines and losing their licenses. But it didn't seem like those rules were being enforced. If anything, Ryan was enabling bartering to be commonplace. In fact, 
investigators learned that Koenig would allow a retired biologist, a guy named Arthur Teclo, to take eggs left over from DNR research. The pair would sneak into the office in the middle of the night to gather the eggs. They had a biologist who was retired, who was going into the lab after hours with Ryan to take hundreds of pounds of fish eggs. Teclo took nearly 65 pounds of eggs in 2015. At about $100 an ounce, that meant he grabbed roughly $100,000 worth. Can't even imagine. You gotta know what you're doing is wrong. Why are you doing it in the middle of the night? Like, these guys knew what they were doing was wrong. Agents learned Koenig had an ongoing agreement with Teclo. One time, Ryan asked the retired biologist to make fresh caviar from a fish he'd harvested. In exchange, Ryan let Teclo keep some of the eggs. This is just kind of like good old boys stuff, handshake deals, but there's no actual money being exchanged. But you see the potential for the abuse, and that's why it's so serious. It was bartering, plain and simple. And it was completely illegal in Wisconsin wildlife law. As investigators dug deeper, they found that Koenig and Teclo had a relationship going back years. But even more shockingly, a lot of people had these kinds of arrangements for way longer than Koenig had the job. This had been going on for decades. They're telling people we're using these eggs for research at one of our state laboratories. And some of them, sure, they were. But once they're done using them for whatever that research was, they either throw them away or they keep them for themselves. They were keeping them for themselves. In the criminal complaint against Ryan, numerous DNR staffers admitted to taking eggs to be made into caviar. Former DNR biologist and fishery supervisor Ronald Brooks said that he was doing it up until 2015. He'd been at the department for 38 years. Another fishery supervisor confirmed that they'd keep the processed eggs, saying that they had a good old time with it. They'd give the caviar to bars and eat them at meetings. They're funneling these to quite a few different processors, and then once they're getting them processed and made into caviar, these processors are keeping them for themselves, the scientists are taking them for themselves, and then they're giving them out like literally at agency meetings where they're telling people about the regulations for this stuff. It's just wild. By late January of 2020, investigators interviewed a bunch of people within the DNR, and they were in town again to ask more people questions. They start their day at the house of Victor and Mary Schneider. The Schneiders were a pair of processors who had been working in town for decades. Now in their 80s, the duo opened the door to the wardens and start a tour of their setup. Mary takes the wardens downstairs to her workshop. It's a small space armed with equipment to paint sturgeon decoys and make caviar. They start talking, and Mary tells the wardens all about how they process the eggs on an agreement. They split the caviar, giving the spear half to take home while keeping the rest. Victor turns around and tells the agents that one year they processed over $250,000 worth of caviar. They were processing people's eggs for them and then keeping a fraction of them for themselves, which is totally illegal. Mary tells the agents that they give most of it away and they don't sell any, adding that they'd be put in jail if they did that. But the agents thought to themselves, and I'm thinking to myself, and you all are probably thinking to yourself that 
Mary, you're already breaking the rules. I honestly felt kind of bad for some of the processors who went down in this. Like there was like an old couple in like their 80s and they've been doing this their whole life. I don't think they even realized that what they were doing was illegal. It was the responsibility of the DNR sturgeon biologists, who were overseen by Ryan Koenig, to remind local processors of the rules around bartering. And it seemed like they had fallen short. A few days later, the agent showed up at a local bar called Wentz on the Lake. It's in a town called Van Dyne, and they have a few questions for Sean Wint. Wint is well known around the area for being a processor. He's been doing it for about 15 years and serving caviar at his bar. The group sits down and the agents ask Sean all about how his processing works. He tells them if someone brought in 30 pounds of eggs, they get about half back. Wint was sure to tell agents that he didn't charge money for processing the eggs. An agent responded, well, what do you charge then? He told the agents he gets some caviar back from the person who caught the fish. They take what they can eat and give whatever's left to him so that there's no waste. And the thing that was coming up as I was reporting this is, well, these eggs were going to get thrown away anyways. It's a shame to see such a prized resource go to waste. Went told the wardens he put this caviar out at parties. He added that he doesn't take money for the eggs. The wardens responded, telling Went that it was illegal to serve caviar at his bar without a wild game feeding permit. They feel a level of trust with these guys, and they don't see any real profits as far as, like, monetary profits, so they don't really see the potential for, like, criminal behavior. Around the same time, investigators also spoke to Koenig. He told them that workers collected eggs to do population modeling and then returned the eggs after the study. Now, this made the agents pay attention. They asked him, so if that's the case then why were workers collecting eggs in the cooler marked for a caviar processor? Koenig denied knowing anything about it. The agents pulled out some phone records that prove he'd spoken to a local processor. Koenig claimed he didn't know why he made the call. <laughs> when they eventually got a hold of his phone in July of 2020, it had been factory reset. They believed that it was to hide information after being interviewed by investigators. It all felt very suspect. And yet investigators didn't seem to find any money changing hands. There's potential to make money off of it. But then at the end of the day, should the guy who's in charge of the program also be in charge of where these eggs are going? Probably not. It was clear that the DNR had been taking eggs under the guise of research, getting them processed and bartering with processors. While there was opportunity to make serious money here, it seemed like Koenig and the others implicated didn't make a penny. People around here, they go fishing, they got walleye, they got perch. They'll come in a bar and they'll give someone a package of fish, they'll buy them a drink. It's illegal, but it's been going on for so long. Eventually, agents gathered enough evidence to charge Ryan and three others in February of 2021. We'll hear what happened next after the break. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? 
From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying (laughs) to pretend that I don't right Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. It was June of 2021 a few months after the spearfishing season and all was quiet around Lake Winnebago. Ryan Koenig, who had been on administrative leave from his job since February, was facing charges of lying to a game warden, a crime that was punishable by up to nine months in jail and $10,000 in fines. He faced similar charges obstructing a game warden in a separate case in Winnebago County. Sean Went, the guy feeding caviar at his bar, he faced misdemeanor charges of unlawfully selling or bartering eggs. Mary Lou and Victor Snyder, the caviar processors in their 80s, were facing the same charges. The Snyders faced up to six months behind bars, $2,000 in fines, and losing their hunting and fishing licenses for five years. Instead, they reached a plea deal that would keep them out of jail. Sean's charges were eventually dropped as long as he agreed to not process caviar for non-family members without a permit. Ryan entered a plea deal of no contest and ended up having to pay a fine for his misdemeanors. So Koenigs was fined $50 in Calumet County and $500 in Winnebago County. A lot of people said he got off easy. The same day he was fined, Koenig announced that he was going to leave his position at the DNR. He took a job working at his family's car dealership. Womp womp. (laughs) These guys have, like, some sense of ownership over this resource and that goes from the top down with that whole group of people because in these criminal complaints it's not just ryan who's being named it's everybody in that department being named it's just he's the one who took the fall for it the u.s fish and wildlife investigators likely called the whole thing a win but the locals well they felt differently fishing groups were disappointed that ryan left the job Quinney Fishing Club wrote a letter in support not long after the charges came out. The fishing clubs know what the employees from the DNR do for the sturgeon. I know the hours. I know the dedication they put into it. Maybe they process the eggs and then maybe it's a little cry, but it's not for someone to lose their job. They said that removing Koenig would cause waves of distrust between local fishing groups and the DNR. It's like a speeding ticket as far as I'm concerned. And how many people speed? Everybody gets in the car did the same thing as what happened with the sturgeon. That's kind of what it is. Even the people who protect the sturgeon felt like Ryan should have stayed in his position. Former DNR leaders I talked to, 
They said, this is a really serious offense. I can't believe you'd use your position to secure benefits like this for yourself. But even those former DNR officials would say, this management is so successful that we feel like Ryan should retain his position. I mean, Ryan was a guy that did so much for the Sturgeon. While what he was doing was technically illegal, it wasn't causing any harm, really. Ryan's a super good guy. He's the more dedicated Sturgeon guy I've ever seen in my life. He's the one that made the Sturgeon uh, popular in Wisconsin on Lake Winnebago. To me, they saved the Sturgeon. They didn't wreck the Sturgeon. They saved it, and they just got a raw deal. Since the investigation, the regulations around Sturgeon caviar have gotten even tighter. No, they got to abide by many, many strict rules. When they have a party for the volunteers, they got to cater the food in. People can't bring anything in anymore. While on the lake, people think twice now about trading in their eggs. They spear a sturgeon now, and if it's got the right eggs, they can tell them, hey, you got good eggs in here. They'll give them a card of who processes them. People say, no, I'm not even going to get involved, and they just throw them away. They're afraid. Can you blame them? Nobody wants to get caught up in a criminal investigation. The rules can be confusing. So people would rather toss the eggs than send them in for processing. Anytime you have a natural resources agency that's going to have a scandal like this that causes some breach of trust, it's going to be huge because this whole thing is based on trust between the stakeholders. You got decades of successful management all brought into question by a strange scandal where nobody made any money, but they had the potential for real wrongdoings. We all know that there are plenty of con artists out there that face the music. Usually they've stolen money or cheated their way to a prize. But in this case, Ryan Koenig was really just sharing his love of the sturgeon and its caviar with people. You just feel kind of terrible for them because it's like they're getting dragged through the mud with all of this. And it's like, was it really that bad? As far as we know, there was no money exchanged. And let's be honest, people get away with a lot worse than sharing some caviar. Here we have this prehistoric fish who outlived the dinosaurs. It was facing extinction. It was Ryan's job to make sure that they survived even longer. But his biggest mistake was that he thought he had a right to keep this public resource for himself. The sense of ownership over the resource and feeling like nobody loves these fish as much as we do. We might as well put these eggs to good use. They probably feel like sharing them at their supper club, at their bar, at their agency meeting is like introducing people to their love of this resource too. There's part of that, but it's also, you don't own this resource, like it's a public resource. But here's the thing. Spearfishing exists because of tradition, centuries of it. The caviar bartering, well, it's kind of the same thing. For decades, Long before Ryan took on the role of lead fisheries biologist, there was a culture of bartering caviar, of sharing something you love with your community. Ryan was the person in charge of enforcing the regulations, but he was also someone who clearly valued the tradition and community that helped sturgeons thrive. And part of that was caviar. So I'm wondering, is it fair that one man should have his life upended for a culture he inherited from his predecessors? I mean, how many of us really would be in his shoes and suddenly shut down things that have been going on forever that harm no one, especially the fish? 
And yet, he lost his job over it. But to go through all that when caviar don't even taste good. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. She had this alter ego. So she was like this really quiet municipal employee by day. And then she had this other life by night. She was this showgirl with these horses and hats and belt buckles and boots and all kinds of things like uh, Dolly Parton meets Dixon, Illinois, maybe. Cheat is presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by George McDonald. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Megan Dietrich. The original idea for the show was developed by Tom Fuller. Mixing and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Special thanks to the Sony legal team. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola. Egbatola.